You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is James Sakalos. James Sakalos is an internationally acclaimed NLP trainer and innovator who has been busy exploring, teaching, and pushing the boundaries of NLP for nearly 20 years. Having personally introduced a number of new and innovative developments in the field of NLP, James is particularly well known for his work as the modeler and developer of Spiral Somatics, a groundbreaking method of reading the subtle physiological indicators of fundamental values, attitudes, and core beliefs. James will be in Orange County, California in September of 2018 for an eight-day Spiral Somatics training seminar. James is joining us for this conversation via Zoom from his home in Melbourne, Australia. All right, so it looks like we are recording a new episode of The Authenticity Show. I'm Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell, and uh, we're here virtually connecting with a friend in Melbourne, Australia, named James Saklalos. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And so, nice to see you, by the way. I've only ever seen your name before this call. Ah, very good. Well, uh, I do exist, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Well, gosh, you know, we've got a couple of hours to talk with you, thank goodness, because we have a hell of a lot of questions for you. Oh, yeah. I met you through another James T., James mm-hmm. Tripp uh, introduced me and to you, thankfully. And um, uh, everything that he said about you so far has been totally true. He said that you're an amazing guy. He said that you're an expert in the field of NLP and related um, personal growth topics. And he's mm-hmm. you're a wonderful human being and, a, and a, just a stellar uh, trainer who knows how to really um, delve deeply into the subject and get people to uh, really understand it at a higher level by building mm. a foundation really firmly and securely with them and taking them uh, gradually up the, the knowledge chain to, to expert level. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your school in, in Melbourne? Is that right? Yeah. Well, Melbourne's where I do most of my teaching, um, but I do do a little bit of stuff around the world. You know, I'm coming to LA. I'll be in Edinburgh next week. I was in India a couple of weeks ago, uh, but Melbourne's kind of my home base, uh, and this is where I teach NLP. And uh, my most of the people that come to learn with me, I know that, for example, you're a therapist, and I know if I go to the UK, there's a lot of people there for whom NLP and therapy kind of go together, yeah. uh, and that's... Mm-hmm. That's not really how I do things. I'm, I'm not a therapist. I don't define myself that way. I'm, you know, I'm not even someone who kind of does therapy but calls it something different because I don't like the word therapy. Um, it's just it's not my thing, you know. Um, I do a bit of coaching from time to time. I used to do a lot of coaching, but, uh, you know, I don't um, – I'm not a healer, let's say. Uh, and uh, this has a lot to do with my background in NLP. I was interested in NLP in the first place. Uh, because of modeling. Modeling is the thing that really inspired me. It's the thing that um, that I'm very passionate about because I've always been very interested in the limits of what human beings can do and how can we explore those kinds of limits? How can we become capable of things? And uh, so modeling is what drew me to NLP. And then my initial training, because um, I've learned from 
lots of people now. Like so I stopped counting once I got over 30. So it's been lots, lots of people. Wow. Uh, but my, uh, my initial training was with a gentleman who just passed away last year, my mentor, a guy called Roger Dina, uh, who was an Englishman living in Australia. And he was a masterful, like really masterful trainer, um, for which I'm unspeakably grateful. Um, but his market was like, he didn't come to NLP from a, uh, uh, like a therapy kind of background or anything like that. His previous career, uh, he worked in corporate. He was divisional managing director of a major multinational um, called, called Courtolds, uh, and he ran, you know, kind of that locally here in Australia. Um, and so that was kind of his background. His background was in business. And so when he became an NLP trainer, um, he was teaching NLP and its applications in the context of business, particularly in the context of large organizations um, where you've got to navigate corporate culture and different kinds of personalities and all of this kind of thing. Uh, and so that was my kind of uh, my NLP background because I learned from him. And so I learned NLP not predominantly as a, a therapeutic kind of thing, uh, but as a way of relating with people and communicating with people and motivating and managing people and uh, you know sorting out disputes and problem solving and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so uh, I'd I'd never kind of gotten entrenched in the idea of you know NLP equals therapy that a lot of people seem to get into. Uh, and so my market today is different from both of those things. I don't really have a big corporate background or anything like that, but uh, I am someone who knows small business. And most of the people that come to learn with me are people who are in business for themselves, people who are um, typically people whose business is their expertise. So I get a lot of people like accountants and mortgage brokers and acupuncturists and chiropractors and, uh, you know, osteopaths and, and you know, people who their expertise is their, their service, their products, this kind of thing. Uh, and I also get a little bit of, um, uh, you know, folks in senior management positions in larger organizations, but that's not the majority of my work. But I don't get rooms full of therapists. That's, that's not really my thing. Um, mm. So when I teach NLP, uh, it's predominantly just for people um, who want to improve themselves, who want to, you know, sort out things that have been holding them back, who wants to develop their skills, who wants to be able to relate with people better, who wants to be able to, uh, you know, operate at their peak when they need to and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it's uh, it's kind of a combination of personal development and professional development, not so much the, the therapy side of things. So that's uh, that's the stuff that I teach here in Melbourne. Uh, and then at advanced levels, I, I train modelers, and uh, which is, as far as I'm concerned, really kind of where it's at. Great. Well, James, um, I'm kind of curious about how you would go about defining two things, uh, because mm -hmm. there are some people who have, you know, are going to be listening to this who don't really understand uh, even what NLP is at a real basic level. So I know there there are tons of definitions for that. What's the kind of working definition that you use for NLP for yourself? Well, I use a few definitions depending on who I'm talking to. So uh, in my my basic, I have like an entry-level weekend program. Mm. Uh, and the way that I usually introduce NLP there uh, is as follows. Imagine that uh, there are three or four people that all have exactly the same training and exactly the same experience in some kind of skill, whatever that skill is. Um, of those few people, 
uh, it's often the case that one of those people just seems to be a freak uh, with regards to that skill. They seem to be be blessed. They seem to have some kind of natural talent or you know natural gift or God given gift, and they just they can do that things easier than other people. They picked it up quicker. They they perform on a higher level. Um, so that even other people who are good at that skill, when they talk about that person, they go, "Oh, that's that person's whole other. They're just a freak," you know. Uh, and usually those people. Uh, the thing that allows them to have that degree of skill uh, is stuff that they do that they themselves don't actually know that they do because there's most of what we do and most of what we think, most of what we say, most of what we do is outside our conscious attention. We've got very, very little conscious attention and most of what we do we're not conscious of. And so uh, this is uh, equally the case of people who are experts in their fields, people who are freaks, mm -hmm. people who have who seem to have these God-given gifts, most of what they do is stuff that they don't know that they do. And since they don't know that they do it, they can't teach it. And so consequently, people just think that they have some special magical power. Right. And so NLP fundamentally uh, is about finding people like that and finding out what it is that they do that they don't know that they do that allows them to have that kind of skill so that you can take that and you can make it something that's teachable instead of something that seems to be only for the gifted, as it were. Uh, that's fundamentally what NLP is about. Okay, so, and so, uh, so these freaks or these prodigies, uh, these geniuses, um, is that relate to what you were referring to as the modeling? Uh, yeah, because that, that process is modeling. That's what modeling is. Uh, it's about creating um, explicit, teachable models of uh, implicit or tacit skills, uh, skills that people can't put into words necessarily or don't even know that they have in some cases. Because when you model someone, the result of that is you end up with some kind of process or some kind of procedure or technique or uh, some kind of model for doing something, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got a set of instructions or a body of knowledge about something. And uh, so what has happened historically is people mistake the techniques, the models, the processes for NLP itself, whereas they are, they're really kind of the byproducts. They're, they're, they're the output of the process of modeling. Um, but nonetheless, when people make use of uh, a lot of the things that we've modeled over the years, they will describe that as NLP. And so since that's kind of the convention now, um, mm. I have another description of NLP, which um, uh, I think uh, matches both of those kinds of things. And so when people come to train with me at my NLP practitioner training, I will typically define NLP as the detection and subsequent replication and or utilization of patterns in the processes of living systems, most notably human beings. Because uh, it's all about pattern detection and then either making use of those patterns to achieve some kind of an outcome or reproducing the patterns that allow someone else to achieve some kind of outcome. So it's a form of meta-learning in, in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. I like that. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, Satch, um, I certainly have a ton of questions here too, and I know you do too. So, you want to just kind of yeah. jump? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in uh, jumping right into uh, uh, the the special topic of this podcast episode. So, um, I, I actually, Carlos, I think you uh, probably could uh, ask this question better than me, but uh, I think I'm going to do it. Uh, which is um, <laughs> uh, James? Uh, I, I'm not a neuro linguistic programming expert. I'm not an NLP guy. Um, of course, I'm around some wonderful people that are. Um, but so for somebody like me, um, I know that you do this spiral somatics. Mm -hmm. What is that for, for a, a guy with no background uh, in this sort of thing? Um, please explain what spiral somatics is. 
Cool. Well, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so spiral somatics is uh, an in-depth exploration of the link between the mind and the body. So the, the body and the mind are not separate by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they're just parts of the same system. And most people kind of intuitively recognize this. Most people intuitively recognize that when, um, you know, when someone's feeling down, for example, they are often down, you know, their body kind of droops a little bit, their eyes go down, they're a bit mopey, that kind of thing. And uh, when people are in a really up mood, oftentimes they are visibly up, you know. Um, a lot of people are very familiar with this. You know, you can kind of tell from the sound of someone's voice and the way that they're carrying themselves, the state of mind that they're in, you know, that there's a link that goes that particular way. Um, the link is a two-way link, though, because these are just different parts of the same system. So everything affects everything else. Everything that happens inside you, mentally and emotionally, etc., will affect the way that you're holding and using your body. Uh, and everything to do with your body will affect your state as well. You know, you put a lot of caffeine into your system and that's going to affect your mental state. You know, if you haven't slept very much, that's going to affect your state. Um, you know, if you're holding yourself with lots of muscle tension, that's going to affect your state. If you're really kind of relaxed into a couch, that's going to affect your state. And so most people are aware of the fact that the body and mind are part of the same system. It's just that most people aren't aware of the extent to which that's the case. It's a little bit like... Um, if you'll forgive me, I'm going off on a slight tangent here, but I swear that this is related to your question. We never do um, that on the authenticity show. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so uh, there's this, and this is actually, this is very clearly related to spiral somatics as well. This is kind of a key about what spiral somatics is about. Most people will intuitively understand that if I, like if I suggest to you, I'm going to guess that you are clearly not the same person today that you were when you were two years old. Right? Most people intuitively get that. Most people would agree with that and go, yeah, I'm not the same person today that I was when I was two years old. Right? And they get that. Right? But the principle inside of that, by extension, what that means is that you're not the same person today that you were yesterday. You're not the same person today that you were last week or last year or this morning. Right? You're not stuck. You're not fixed in a particular way. You're constantly evolving and changing and growing and learning. And this is the nature of being human. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they get the idea that I'm not the same person that I was when I was two years old, but they kind of don't get the idea that I'm not the same person that I was this morning. They have got, they've got this sense that that's somehow different, that that's fixed, and, uh, which is not the case. And this is part of what spiral somatics is all about, by the way. But coming back and linking that back now to the body-mind thing, most people are, um, are quite aware intuitively that, uh, you know, if someone's in a, a particular kind of emotional state, that's going to be expressed in their body. Um, that's kind of a no-brainer. But everything in your internal experience is expressed in your body. By, just by extension, everything, every aspect of your ongoing internal experience is expressed in your body. That means the opinions that you have about things. That means the thoughts that you're having right now. That means the, uh, the priorities that you have in this particular moment. Uh, that means the, you know, the kinds of things that you're saying to yourself, the movers that you're running inside your mind. Literally everything that happens inside you is going to be expressed in your body. And spiral somatics is a really kind of in-depth exploration of those kinds of things. It's something that will allow you, once you really kind of learn some of these patterns, it's something that will allow you to recognize um, the moments that you see someone while you see someone and the way that they're holding themselves, the way that they're holding their muscles, the way that they're breathing, the way that their spine is, the way that they're, all of this kind of stuff. You'll be able to make some really good educated guesses as to 
for this person, not just what's the state of mind that they're in right now, but what fundamentally is important to them in life, um, how they're likely to view different kinds of topics, the kinds of people they're likely to surround themselves with, the sorts of things they're likely to uh, be good at, to be naturally inclined towards, the sorts of things that are probably going to be their weaknesses rather than strengths, um, the kinds of things that are, are hot-button motivators for them, the kinds of things that they don't really care about, uh, the kinds of things that they consider to be common sense. Because uh, common sense is an interesting thing, right? Like. Yeah have this idea that some people have common sense and some people don't. But what that really means is, you know, if people think the way that I think, then they are exhibiting common sense because <laughs> common sense is the way that I do things, you know. Right. And uh, so course. the things that people, yeah, of course, you know, so the of things course. that people to be considered to be common sense, you'll be able to see that as well. You can see quite a lot in someone's body when you know what to look for. Uh, and so that's that's kind of half of the spiral somatics coin. It's it's recognizing uh, some of these patterns in terms of the links between body and mind. Could could I just pause you for a moment because I want to interrupt you. Uh, that that piece um, makes me curious to know how related is that to say empathy, cold reading, you know, um, facial expressions, things like that. I mean, how does is that connected to what you're talking about or not at all? Uh, facial expressions, not so much. Cold reading, I'm not sure about. I would suspect that probably people that are very skilled at cold reading uh, and do a lot of it will probably over time develop some intuitions about this kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and uh, empathy is empathy's kind of a different ball game because people define empathy in different ways. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of people, empathy is the, um, uh, you know, I, I, I feel for you. I have a feeling for um, you know, what you're going through and this kind of thing. And oftentimes that's based on just my story of what I think is happening with you, you know, mm -hmm. um, they're not, you're not really, you know, empathizing with another person. You're empathizing with your own story about that person. Uh, and for other people, it's a bit different, but all of this is, this is just um, kind of the surface level stuff because these, this link between your body and mind goes two ways. And so <laughs> Uh, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to go off on slight tangent again before coming back. I'm willing to bet that you have, at various times in your life, encountered someone, you may have even experienced this yourself, but encountered someone who um, believed that there were things that they couldn't do and used a phrase to express this like, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm just not the kind of person who can just walk up and talk to someone. I'm just not the kind of person that um, is good at maths. I'm just not the kind of person who, whatever it might be, I'm just not that kind of person. They've got this sense of themselves as being in a box, as being fixed. You know, this is my sense of who I am. I'm this kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. This is the limits of my identity, the limits of, of what's possible for me, as it were. Uh, and that's a very static, it's a very... Um, kind of stuck way of identifying and uh you know spiral somatics fundamentally by exploring the nature of the link between your body and mind because a lot of people kind of habitually hold themselves physically hold themselves in particular ways you know you can you can watch this person through a bunch of different contexts in their life and they physically um have a whole bunch of habitual patterns 
you know, and because of the body-mind connection, that means that they are constraining themselves to habitual patterns of thinking, of feeling, of making sense of the world. And so uh, a much deeper element of spiral somatics is using this knowledge of the body-mind connection to be able to free up and de develop some flexibility, not just in terms of how you hold yourself and how you move and how you physically are in the world, but in terms of the way that you do the world, in terms of your own beliefs and values and attitudes and this kind of thing. So that instead of um, I think it was Neil Gaiman, uh, a favorite author of mine. I think it was Neil Gaiman. I could be misquoting. I could be quoting someone else and just attributing it to Neil Gaiman here, um, who once said that one of the worst pieces of advice that people can give you uh, is just be yourself. Yeah. It's terrible advice because the, you know the idea is that yourself is fixed in some way. Right? This is it. Just stay in your box, as it were. You know, and uh, he suggests that that's terrible advice. So don't just be yourself. Be all of yourselves. Be all of your many selves. Be all of the different ways in which your identity, your being, can express itself. You know, um, break out of the limitation of this idea that I am this kind of person and I'm not that kind of person. That my identity itself is limited, not just my beliefs, not just my behaviours, but my sense of who I am is in a box. You know, and spiral somatics to a large extent is about breaking out of that box and developing the uh, ability by using this mind-body connection um, to develop some fluency and some fluidity in terms of how you relate with the world, how you relate with yourself, how you do life, so that you can be whoever you need to be at any given moment and have a f more fluid, responsive identity. Um, so that, uh, depending on the context, you can be the right person in this moment right now uh, and not have to wait around for someone else to be that right person, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I like that idea of, of being yourselves, plural. Yeah, I do Absolutely. too. I like that too. You know, uh, James, what this reminds me of as you were talking is uh, the idea that we each have different roles in our lives, mm -hmm. right? Like sometimes I have the role of a husband. Mm -hmm. I am an uncle. I'm a teacher, I'm an employee, I'm a commuter, I'm a, uh -huh. you know, a martial artist, whatever it is. And every time I think of one of these roles, I do realize that I really am embodying some slightly different things. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. Is, 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 is that similar to what you're talking about, just taken deeper or... Uh, it is, yeah. And, uh, you know, as you think about it, you recognize that you're embodying different kinds of things. And even just right now, moments ago, as you were describing those things, mm -hmm. for people who are trained in spiral somatics, they would see that, yes, your body is doing things. For each one of those <laughs> things, you're doing different stuff, you know. That's great. Um, That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. All right. Are, are you hearing some um, elements of Vipassana training coming back as, as he's talking about uh, listening to the body and the patterns that, that come up uh, that you yeah, observe? Definitely. Uh, definitely. I am. You too? Yeah. Well, yes. And, and, and what led me, James, in, into that sort of path of thought was thinking about in speaker training, how uh -huh. one of the first things you do is teach people how to stand and to be still and to... Uh, stop those self-comforting motions, you know, that kind of like, you know, touching the, checking the watch, touching the collar, putting your hands in your pocket, shifting from side to side and all that stuff that people do. 
mm-hmm. as a means for basically petting themselves to make themselves feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were to be really still, you can notice the compulsion. And by mm-hmm. noticing the compulsion, it brings you back to Vipassana, which is all about observation and mm-hmm. noticing those sensations and where the roots come from. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine how this would be a wonderful way of exploring that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're reminding me of something because you described, I know that you have learned spiral dynamics. Yeah. Uh, and there is a link between spiral dynamics and spiral somatics. And yeah, my, my <laughs> yeah, my my teacher, um, my who was my mentor, I I was very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do a five year full time apprenticeship with this guy as a as a NLP trainer, mm-hmm. um, which was far more valuable than any other learning experience I've ever had. Um, and uh, he's someone who was. Um, had great expertise in the field of spiral dynamics. Um, for people who are aware of spiral dynamics, um, the the two guys that kind of came up with it, students of a guy called Claire Graves, uh, Don Beck and Chris Cohen, went their separate ways at one point in time. And so there became kind of two schools of spiral dynamics. Uh, and one of those schools headed by Don Beck, um, you know, Don Beck was close with my mentor, Roger, um, and was of the view, I think he... Uh, expressed the view at a spiral dynamics conference at one point that spending two hours with Roger was more valuable than spending two days with him, Don Beck, wow. uh, for the purposes of, of getting this stuff. And he frequently would, every year, um, he would uh, ask Roger why he hadn't given up on this NLP stuff uh, and taken his offer to come and co-train with him, Don Beck, teaching spiral dynamics around the world. Um, so Roger had great expertise in that particular field and so um uh i know that because you've learned spiral dynamics and because of the way that you've learned spiral dynamics you've had a certain experience that i've also had uh about 40 times (laughs) um which uh is is a way of going into uh teaching this stuff where Uh, A group of students are typically taken out of a room. The room is then arranged. A culture is created inside that room. Uh, And then you come into that room to experience what it's like coming into this kind of culture. Um, So knowing what uh, we know about spiral somatics in terms of these physiological patterns, there's some really interesting things. So this self-comforting stuff that you talk about, uh, I have seen on so many occasions Um, An exercise like that where a room has been arranged to reflect a certain kind of culture uh, and everything about it reflects this kind of culture, people get brought into the room and they'll respond to that in certain ways. Some Mm -hmm. people will respond with a kind of a relaxing sensation as if they've just come home. Right, like, ah, this is my kind of place. You know, other people will respond quite differently. So there are um, certain people who, when faced with a culture that is very um, controlled and very uh, rule-bound and very secure and very orderly and organized and things like this, there are some people coming into that culture will themselves settle quite comfortably into. Uh, a way of being that is very controlled, very orderly, uh, very secure, very organized. There's other people, on the other hand, who come into that environment that immediately regress and they become teenagers again. Right? These are like grown <laughs> rebel, people. Rebel. You know, yeah, in their 40s, in their 50s, who, you know, in business, right? Like people that are, you know, in, in corporate environments who are running these fucking companies and they age regress. They become 16 years old again and they become these rebellious teenagers right. and they're 
and everything about them, like you can just see the age regression that takes place when they go back to this particular way of being. Um, and that's something that often happens. You find yourself in a context that has a certain kind of culture, that has certain is filled with people who do the world a certain way, is arranged a certain way. Um, some people will go into an environment that is arranged a certain way, where people do things a certain way, and it just feels comfortable and it feels like home. But others will go into that culture, go into that kind of context, and will not feel at home, will not feel comfortable with that. And they will shift, they will respond to that, and their whole physiology will shift, and they'll shift into a whole different way of being. Uh, as a way of kind of responding to that, you know, uh, which in some cases could be a rebellious kind of thing. Which in some cases it could be a, um, you know, I'm going to be in absolute control of myself kind of thing. Uh, in some cases it could be a, you know, who do I need to talk to 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 kind of get people to loosen up around here a little kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's there's any number of different things that people can do uh, in response to that, and I I suspect that that's really where the um, well, I suspect that that could be where the whole self-comforting thing takes place. Because if someone said, like, as far as I'm concerned, from a spiral somatics perspective, right, speaker training, this is fantastic. Tell someone to stand, stand symmetrical and be still, that's going to affect you in certain ways. That's going to reflect certain ways of being in the world. And if that's something that you're very comfortable with, then that will be quite comfortable. And if not, then you're likely to adjust you're likely to kind of slip into ways of doing things ways of being in the world that are more comfortable for you that are more congruent for you in that particular moment in time and that doesn't mean necessarily that they're self-soothing or anything like that it just means that you're having a way of being forced upon you and being told this is the right way to do it you know so i've so you know it, and forgive me if this kind of goes against speaker training principles but you know as far as i'm concerned if you tell someone that they have to use their body a particular way this is what you must do as a speaker that's bullshit right? that's just you're forcing someone into a particular way of being uh and then uh, you know interpreting anything that's at odds with that way of being as wrong in some way that they should correct that if you're going to be a speaker let's say you know um, and I don't think that's particularly healthy. I think what's uh, far more healthy, from my point of view, of course, you know, common sense. Uh, yeah, well, common to you and I. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so of course. what I think is a, a useful kind of thing to do is instead show people how to um, be uh, congruent, how to be dynamic, how to be engaging as a speaker in a number of different ways of being in the world rather than going this is the thing that you have to do because right. you end up looking like a robot uh, again i did my apprenticeship apprenticeship with roger his market was like senior corporate right so most of the people that came to train with roger were you know ceos and mds and general managers and national sales and marketing directors and people like that you know and so if that's your market you have to kind of do things a certain way and so and i did a five-year apprenticeship with roger and so for several years the way that i conducted myself as a trainer of nlp was suit and tie microphones uh, stage spotlights the whole kind of shebang it was all very polished it was all very professional all of this kind of thing uh, i don't do that these days and most people who have learned with me in the past probably 10 years um, find it difficult to imagine that that was ever the case but that was a role that i kind of had to play because that's the context this is the thing that you have to do you know if you're um, running public programs for people uh, you know, senior people in large organizations, then you have to kind of convey yourself in a certain way as to match the dominant culture in that particular group of people, you know. 
but uh, for, I don't have to do that these days. So I have different kinds of people. Um, and so I've, you know, I've developed a, a different style, a different kind of approach to training, a different approach to presenting. And it, that doesn't mean that it's worse. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that I should be doing the suit and tie and stand up there and all that kind of stuff. Um, it just means that if I'm going to be in that kind of environment, if I'm going to go into an environment where people are going to be doing a particular way of doing the world, then I'm going to present in such a way that I am comfortable and fit inside that environment. I can be comfortable pretty much anywhere because I can be lots of different selves. And so it's just a case of being the correct self, the most useful self for that particular context, for that particular point in time. And so I think speaker training where they go, you know, this is the way that you do it um, is not necessarily optimal. I think, you know, if, if you're only going to be you know, speaking to a very particular kind of audience, and that might be the way to do it. But if you want to be able to extend your range so that you can connect with a wider range of people, um, it might not be the way to do it. And again, this is kind of what spiral somatics is about. Hmm. So James, um, dare I say, from my perspective, it sounds like to learn this could kind of be a pretty spiritual experience in the sense that you could identify with everybody. Have you ever had people describe it that way? I mean, have you ever had anybody say that to you? Um, I, I probably have. There's a guy who recently has been doing my NLP master practitioner training who probably would describe it that way because that's the way that he does the world a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't know that others have necessarily described it like that, but people certainly do have, um, not everyone and not all of the time, but, but people certainly do have um, profound experiences, let's say. Uh, you know, because at a surface level, at a very surface level, um, a lot of people that come to learn spiral somatics, uh, you know, are here to learn things like how to understand people much better, how to connect with people on much deeper levels, how to be uh, effortlessly influential, um, that kind of thing, you know, and, and all of those things are kind of outcome oriented. All of those things kind of uh, are valuable if you're someone who wants to achieve certain things in the world. You know, and so certain kinds of people really kind of they come to spiral somatics from that particular perspective, and then we when we start going into this fluidity of identity stuff, when when people start developing um, a lot more fluidity in how they themselves do the world, oftentimes that opens up because it opens up parts of them that haven't been opened up for a long time, or in some cases just haven't been opened up before, uh, and they get to experience. Uh, a very different relationship with particular ways of doing the world. They get to see certain ways of doing the world that before they had perhaps had um, uncharitable views about and they begin to really kind of see and appreciate that this is actually a perfectly good way of doing the world and it makes sense and there's nothing bad about it. To, you know, there is no way of doing the world that is inherently bad. Um, it's just whether or not it makes sense to you as an external observer. You know, and uh, oftentimes when people kind of get that, those kinds of references in themselves, they develop a lot more flexibility in how they are in the world and they change the way that they view others in the world. It can be quite a profound experience. And pretty much every time I teach this, for at least one or two people, they're going to have some pretty profound um, awakenings, let's say. Uh, whether they describe that as spiritual or not is, uh, you know, depends mm-hmm. on how they choose to view it. It sounds sounds pretty great. (laughs) It sounds great. It sounds empowering. It sounds like it has the potential for opening up compassion um, and for lessening your reactiveness to um, attack and insult and offense and criticism and all that stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, – I, I suspect that this is purely just coming from my head brain right now rather than my heart brain or my gut brain, but I, I suspect the compassion is a uh, a second level past the reducing the reactiveness. Yeah. I think that reduction in the way in which you react to different ways of doing the world is kind of required for mm-hmm. compassion to then emerge, mm-hmm. as it were. No, I, I have a practical question. Um mm-hmm. If somebody were to do your training, um, mm-hmm. would they need to have a background in spiral dynamics? Is that a prerequisite or would they get everything they needed from your, your course for, for what you're teaching? They would get everything they needed from this course. Um, and here's the reason. In fact, if someone has a background in spiral dynamics, they might have some unlearning to do wow. um, because this is it's not spiral dynamics. Um, I, I have the word spiral in the title as a bit of a nod to spiral dynamics. But this fundamentally is about the body-mind connection. And uh, there's a lot of different ways of dividing up human experience or dividing the world up, making sense of the world, let's say. Um, A lot of different models out there. Because a model is just a a way that we have of making sense of things. Mathematics is a model, right? Uh, Physics is a model. Everything, every way that we have as human beings of making sense of anything, any, any, any way that we have of making sense of things that's been formalized and written down or given labels or given structures is a model. Uh, and no model is true. Uh, they're all just ways of making sense of things. They're just ways of arbitrarily kind of dividing up human experience. And so uh, spiral dynamics is a model uh, it's one model, one way of kind of carving up uh, human values and human culture and human experience. There's lots of other models that are out there as well. I chose to use the model of spiral dynamics uh, to draw some distinctions from. I don't teach the model wholesale. I don't teach the whole of the spiral dynamics model by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a, uh, a very valuable model, particularly when uh, exploring large-scale systems. If you're looking at the, the dynamics in uh, in countries, in cultures, in large organizations, in, in large-scale systems, I think spiral dynamics uh, is a fantastic model um, to make sense of, of uh, cultural phenomena, uh, as it were. Um, when it comes to individuals, though, and that's mostly my my playground, like I, I work with individuals, so I work with individual human beings, I don't think spiral dynamics as a model applies as well on an individual level as it does on a large-scale level. Um, I, For a number of reasons, I've got a, a number of issues with people applying spiral dynamics on an individual level because um, it just doesn't, doesn't fit in certain ways. Uh, I'm not going to go into details about that, but suffice it to say, um, there's certainly no requirements for any familiarity with spiral dynamics before someone comes on this training. There's not even any requirement for people to have any experience with NLP or anything at all. Anyone can come and learn this. Cool. You, you know, a lot of our nonverbal communication is learned behavior. You know, we, we learn to nod and shake our head and a lot of other things too. Um, how much is the understanding of the somatics related to culture? as opposed to kind of a universal uh, thing for being human? Yep. Um, that's a really cool question. Um, so here's the thing. All of the stuff that you will learn at Spiral Somatics is culturally universal. Uh, that's one of the things that I love about it, and it's fucking awesome, frankly, because mm-hmm. uh, you can literally go anywhere in the world, and you've got da- even if you don't speak the language, you've got data. The moment that you can see people, you can get a sense of, well, where, what kind of place am I in right now? You know. Cool. Cool. So it's very neat. However, the patterns of physiology that you will learn when you come to, well, you know, should someone come to learn spiral somatics, are culturally universal, and 
in addition, inside any individual culture, there's other patterns um, which are not culturally universal. And so there's there's certain other patterns that are that that kind of go with these ways of doing the world that are culturally idiosyncratic. So the stuff that I teach is culturally universal. You find that stuff everywhere. Uh, and what you'll also find is that in certain parts of the world, in certain places, there's going to be other little bits of things, you know, other little kind of somatic components that are idiosyncratic to that particular place, uh, which is one of the interesting things that I, I love about traveling because I get to kind of experience um, constantly, you know, wherever I go, I get to experience the universality of spirosomatics. And I also, in a number of places, get to see like other things that are you know, idiosyncratic here in this particular place that don't translate to the different cultures. You know, it's a little bit like the, you know, you were talking about the, you know, we learn to nod and shake our heads, you know, mm-hmm. which is really cool, you know, because nod means yes and shake means no, unless you're in Bulgaria, yeah. in which case it's reversed, right? Like, oh, that's wild. <laughs> right. You know, you get little things like that. Or the Indian head nod. Yeah. Thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, i got to tell you, last time I was in India a couple of weeks ago, and it was my, I think, my fourth trip there now. And um, where in India? Uh, I was in Mumbai. Oh, Mumbai. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I'll be, I'll be going back to India every year for some time. I'm on a bit of a mission with regards to India, NLP in India in particular. Um, that's a whole other story. But anyway, um, <laughs> sounds I've, interesting. I've been there a few times. It is, <laughs> but we could end up, we could do a couple of hours just on that. So let's not go there. Um, but uh, you know, fourth time I've been in India. And I think it's a combination of the fact that I've been there a few times now and also the fact that I'm a modeler um, that I found myself in India this last trip doing stuff with my heads that I, I can't even consciously now do with my head. Right? I could not consciously replicate the stuff that I just found my head doing. I think like it's like my head is starting to learn Indian nonverbals on its own without me, as it were. You know, <laughs> At some point, I'll catch yeah. up and I'll recognize what's going on and be able to do it. You know, Very cool. Could you talk a little bit about how um, you or maybe any predecessors to the work that you've done, um, how how was this uncovered? How was this discovered? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it it started with my mentor. Because right, I, I mentioned previously, my mentor is someone who is has or had a great degree of expertise in the field of spiral dynamics. And uh, so he had... Uh, world-class expertise in two fields, uh, in the field of NLP and in the field of spiral dynamics. And uh, spiral dynamics is largely, it's kind of, it's a conceptual model, you know. Um, it's uh, its what some people might describe in the field of NLP, some people might describe as a content model. Uh, it's not a model that describes how to do something, as it were. It's just a model that describes how things are, right? Because uh, in terms of different kinds of models, there are uh, predictive models, there are descriptive models, there are process models, you know. Uh, NLP is largely about models that describe how to do stuff because it's about modeling, it's about reproducing things. Uh, but spiral dynamics is is not really a process model. It's, uh, you know, it's a, a descriptive model and a, a predictive model or attempting to be a predictive model, let's say. Um, 
But Roger, as someone who was masterful, not just in spiral dynamics, but also NLP, uh, wanted to know if there was if there was how, you know, if there was like a lot of the things that we pay attention to in NLP is the connection between body mind. You know, how do you be able to, that's one of the, the core skills in NLP is something called calibration, uh, which is about recognizing patterns in physiology that are consistently correlated with certain patterns of someone's emotional state. And uh, so once you get a consistent baseline, once you've got consistent data that when someone's in a certain state, their physiology is a certain way, you've got a pretty good educated guess that the next time you see their physiology like that, they may be in that state. Uh, this is one of the core skills of NLP that we, we rely on to do just about everything. Um, and so uh, Roger wanted to know, could this stuff from spiral dynamics, could these kind of worldviews, these ways that people do the world, could that be calibrated? Is it something that's going to be reflected in someone's body? And I don't know that anybody else had had that thought before. And if they did, I don't know that anybody did what Roger did because he set out to answer that question. And uh, he first experimented with a few things. He just started making some kind of intuitive links um, himself between certain ways of doing the world and certain kinds of gestures and stuff like that. Um, people have talked about satire categories in the Facebook thread about this this Zoom conversation right now. Yeah. Uh, and one of, the, one of the places that he started was with satire categories. He wanted to know, you know, was there a kind of a consistent lineup between satire categories and certain ways of doing the world? Um, that's where he started. It was very roughshod. Uh, it didn't work out so well. It wasn't satisfactory. But Roger um, also, he had this had this idea at one point, which as far as I'm concerned, this is the this was the magic idea that in reflection now, you know, I can look back on and go, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? But nobody else had that idea. So Roger was someone who also, at a certain point in his life, owned a chiropractic clinic. Uh, he was never a chiropractor, but in Australia, up until a certain point in time, they changed the laws. But up until a certain point in time, as a business person, you could start, you could own a chiropractic clinic and employ chiropractors. Uh, now it's the case that if you want a chiropractic clinic, the owner has to be a chiropractor. But there was a point in time where you could just own a, a chiro clinic and employ chiropractors. And so Rog uh, did that and got to know a lot of chiropractors, became uh, kind of entwined, I guess, with the chiropractic community. And he had this brilliant idea. And uh, as, as best I know, it went kind of like this. Roger at one point went, I've got all of these chiros. Okay, well, um, and got a bunch of chiros together and said, can I describe a, a certain kind of person, let's say, to you? And you tell me if you've got any patients like this, you know. And so described a certain way of doing the world, you know, and said, do you have patients that do this a lot? So they have, you know, this is a big part of how they do the world. And uh, they went, yeah, we've got a few people like that. And he said, cool, do they... Do they have things in common that they, as physical complaints that they come in with that you need to kind of work on? Do they have kind of common patterns of, of you know, adjustments that you need to make to their spine? And uh, they went, oh, I don't know, we'll have to go check. And so they went to check their records. And sure enough, there are some common patterns. And so uh, Roger just went, great. So for someone to uh, have that kind of spinal issue, let's say, how would they be standing? How would they be moving? how would their spine have to be in order for them to have that kind of issue and uh, so he got a demonstration of well here's how they would be standing here's how they would be moving etc and so then he went off and you know and looked for that stuff in the world to confirm you know is, is this something that's a pattern here 
And uh, so he discovered that there are, uh, in fact, certain common patterns, uh, particularly in terms of how people hold their spines, that go with uh, ways of doing the world. Um, and so uh, that was, was kind of the beginnings of his work, tracking what you can see in physiology uh, when people have a particular way of doing the world. So he, he taught that stuff. And uh, um, he modeled some really kind of basic patterns. And the thing about that, though, is that there's a lot of complexity in terms of how human beings do things, you know. And Roger was really good at being able to recognize that degree of complexity and subtlety with people. And he was able to, he was good at being able to recognize that even non-verbally. But that was something that he did intuitively. He'd never kind of explicitly mapped how he was able to recognize the complexities that were going on in terms of the way that this person did the world. Um, and so uh, I wanted to get some of that stuff. And so I started kind of modeling what are the things that he's responding to. You know, when Roger kind of recognizes that someone's doing a combination of a few different ways of doing the world in a certain way, what's he responding to? What's, what's showing up in someone's physiology? And so then I did uh, a bit of modeling of Roger, basically, to, to get those kind of extra distinctions. And then, uh, and just kept on developing, basically. At some point, Rog decided to stop teaching uh, that stuff, and I thought that was just silly. Uh, and so uh, I asked him if he minded if I just kept on going and kept on developing and exploring and that kind of thing, and uh, he was uh, very happy for me to continue doing so. Um, and so I kept on mapping uh, more stuff and more subtleties and went out and um, did a bit of... Um, of correcting there are certain kind of physical patterns that he he didn't quite have and uh you know when i began to explore and find people in the world who did a certain way of doing the world uh and recognize what was going on in their physiologies i recognize some of the, the kind of the important stuff that he missed uh and so I, I just kind of kept on developing on his initial work and just did that for well, I'm still going, really. It's, you know, been doing that for nearly 15 years, I guess, um, kind of building on his work and extending it to the point now where it's... Um, I had the opportunity recently to see some video. Um, I hadn't been in a training room with Rog for oh, over a decade uh, and hadn't seen him teaching his the stuff that he'd mapped for much longer than that. And uh, I saw some video recently of him teaching his stuff, the stuff that kind of started this all. Um, and it's like chalk and cheese. It's uh, spiral somatics as it is today is well beyond and uh, a lot more intricate and a lot more subtle and a lot more um, comprehensively mapped uh, than anything that Roger started with. Uh, but it is nonetheless something that didn't emerge from nowhere. Um, it emerged as my extension and refinements of the work that Roger started. Um, that started with his his intention to, you know, discover is there a way in which you can track this stuff in physiology uh, and the incredible good fortune of the fact that he had a chiropractic clinic at some point uh, and the brilliant idea of, of checking this stuff with chiropractors and seeing if there's any patterns in terms of people's spines and this kind of stuff. So the way that I like to describe uh, this kind of thing is that it's a little bit like, um, you know, when people learn spiral somatics, they, it blows their minds and they go, wow, this is amazing, you know. Uh, and it's a little bit like, um, you know, I'm, I'm the person that invented the flat screen LED television. You know, it looks amazing. It's fantastic, you know. But Rog is the person that invented television. 
um, you know, and the the difference in terms of significance of those things is just, you know, this is a guy. This is the guy that that brought something out of nothing. Um, you know, I just took work that he started and developed it a lot further. Um, but it was his initial uh, motivations, his initial ideas, his initial insights um, that started this whole thing. Uh, and so that's where that stuff comes from. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, I, I guess um, since it sort of partially emerged out of um, the analysis of, of the spine, and you know, some help was was obtained from some professionals, some chiropractors. Mm-hmm. I'm curious: um, is this something that has any health applications? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I'm not the right person to ask about that. Um, People do sometimes ask that, and they're like, I'm not a health practitioner. I could make something up, but I don't actually know. I have had some people learn. What I do know is that I've had some people learn spirosomatics that took to it really well because they come from those kinds of backgrounds. Uh, I had a guy um, recently who was an osteopath from New Zealand that got the physiology like that. Um, I had a guy uh, in last time I was in Edinburgh who was a physiotherapist. Um, you know, people that have a lot to do with um, with the body, uh, you know, dancers and physios and chiros and osteopaths and, and people that are kind of intimately acquainted with the body and how it, it functionally, structurally works, um, you know, Pilates instructors and, and stuff like that, um, tend to get the physiology really easily because they have a lot of control over their own physiology. They can demonstrate things in their own physiology. They have a lot of um, flexibility already. Uh, as to um, how this can be made use of for health applications, I I don't know. I suspect that that might be the case simply because there are certain ways of doing the world that, like I know that, for example, uh, if someone, there was a question that I think came from James, is it James Key? Yeah, Dr. Key. Yeah, uh, I think there was a question that came from James Key um, on Facebook about this this Zoom chat, um, which was, uh, you know, if there are kind of habitual ways that people hold their body um, through either habits or, you know, nature, nurture, whatever it might be, does that affect how people do the world? And that's absolutely the case. So people, for example, who do yoga for 30 years um, cannot not develop a certain way of doing the world because of, of what they're doing with their body and their spine and their muscles. Um, people that do you know, traditional Japanese martial arts end up developing a certain way of the world because of what they habitually do with their etc. Um, but that link would go the other way around as well. So if there is an ideal, if there's a, a, a physical ideal, for example, that chiropractors work towards... Um, then helping someone develop a certain way of doing the world will naturally help them start shifting their body in those particular ways. Uh, these things link together. And similarly, if you want to help someone develop a certain way of doing the world, uh, there are certain physical practices that you can have them do that if they just do those practices after a while, they, they're going to start holding themselves in certain ways and they'll find certain attitudes and certain ways of doing the world emerging from that. Um, so I suspect that on the basis of that, there could be some health applications, but I'm not the right person to ask about that stuff. I would ask Dan Moore about that. I'd ask uh, Ilad uh, about that. There's other people that I'd ask about that. Mm. And I may do <laughs> now that you've asked sure, the question. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I, I, I'm very fascinated because, you know, I'm, I'm an occupational therapist. And so ah. all the physiology stuff you're describing, I'm just itching to know more about it. <laughs> you know, Like, for example, I mean, just, just to throw something out there. Um, like I know that if, if somebody's shoulder girdles are forward a little bit, 
Uh-huh. Not in 20 or 30 years, they're going to wear out the shoulder joints. Yeah. So the way that the shoulder joint is, is meeting itself, right? And so yep. it seems like um, uh, just with little bits and pieces of knowledge like that to, to take the, the filter of what you're teaching and be able to see long-term patterns of what people's bodies might be doing just based upon what they think, um, it kind of blows my mind. I, I, would, I would love to be able to do that. You know, that's, that's pretty neat. You know? yeah, I, I, have, I have met people before where I look at them and I think, this guy has neck pain and I don't know why I know that. Mm-hmm. And he's got neck pain, you know? So there's, there's some part of us that somehow can recognize things. And it sounds like you've, you've uh, got some of the dust off that and you can see it. Yeah, yeah. very much. And I've got to tell you the thing that you were just talking about in terms of the rotation of the shoulders and whatnot. Um, if you encounter people like that, that's going to be a really tricky one in terms of the body mind stuff, because that would uh, be something that would emerge as a certain way of doing the world. It's not the only thing that would lead to that, but it's something that would emerge as a certain way of doing the world, which is a very um, very resolute, let's say, way of doing the world. When people have uh, these kind of values, um, it takes an enormous amount to get them to shift those values. Um, there are certain ways of doing the world that are um, people can quite kind of fluidly move between, like they're, they're people can very easily and happily kind of drop that and move on to something else. And there are others that are a little bit more resistant to, to change as it were. Uh, and so that particular pattern with the shoulders, if it's associated with this, this certain model of worlds um, could be a tricky one because that's, that's a way of doing the world. That's takes a bit to budge because um, it kind of trumps everything else basically. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I'd like to, to chime in on that one. Uh, I was just working with someone like that uh, mm-hmm. in my practice. And this person um, responds very well to um, you know, guided visualization and various kinds of methods. But I always have to, to remind this person to uh, kind of connect and contact their spine and lift and reinforce the experience of what they're experiencing by uh, physiologically shifting their body. And they tend to go back very easily, very mm-hmm. back into that old pattern. So what you're saying, absolutely. Um, I've seen that to be true and, and, and it takes a lot of effort to get them to kind of like, Hey, you got to really step into this. You got to really open up your spine. You got to believe this fully and completely. You've got to, you know, sometimes I have to physically adjust them and say mm-hmm. like this, and now yeah. feel that and feel the difference of how this feels like. Remember this, you know, picture yourself this way. Um, and it's tough to get them to shift yeah. because of that physical, you know, slouch. And, yeah. And that makes sense. Um, how have you found that this understanding that you have, which is a unique understanding and a deep understanding um, and a multi layered understanding, has it affected, say, your application of? NLP and hypnosis and and things like that. Profoundly. Um, as a side note, by the way, I I never used to use the word hypnosis. I never used to describe myself as a hypnotist or say that I did hypnosis. Um, I've discovered in recent years that um, much of what I do would be described as hypnosis, and I, uh, you know, if I demonstrated certain things, I would probably be considered someone who had some expertise in the field of hypnosis. Um, but I never kind of think like that as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of application of, uh, you know, with regards to everything else that I do, it's been absolutely profound. Like the, um, 
anything involving human beings, you know, anything involving an interaction between me and anybody else uh, or anybody and anybody else, uh, you know, anything involving human beings, my very first filter, as it were, right? Like the, the first thing that happens for me is I'm recognizing what's going on here in terms of spiral. Mm. And then in response to that, then doing things, whatever those things happen to be. So, um, you know, I'm a trainer. Most of what happens uh, in my professional life involves groups of people, you know. So I have a group of people in front of me. One of the first things that happens, well, the first thing that happens really is I go, what's going on here in terms of spiral? Um, and this is quite valuable in a number of different ways. So one of the ways is sometimes what will happen is you'll have a group full of people where there are uh, are a couple of particular ways of doing the world that for whatever reason are just really common in this particular group. Uh, and that's really valuable because that then kind of guides me in terms of um, how do I need to be to be of value to these particular people? What kinds of things are these people going to sink their teeth into? What kinds of things have they have they already got down pat? And where are their kind of weak points? What are the stuff that we're going to need to, you know, for me to be of, of best use for this particular group of people, what's what should I be doing, you know? Yeah. Um, but the other thing is in terms of group dynamics, um, and that group could be two people, could be just me and someone else, or it could be a you know a room full of twenty people. You're going to see certain patterns play out that are often um, results of the the generalizations that people make uh, about certain ways of doing the world. You're going to see prejudices come out and biases come out and this kind of thing. There are certain things that are going to be predictable in terms of the relationships with de- between different people. There are certain people, for example, uh, there's an expression that I like to use um, when there are two people that do a certain way of doing the world. And if you'll forgive me, I'm not labeling things here. I've, I've, you know, We've been talking for quite some time. I haven't labeled anything specifically yet. So I've been using these broad phrases like certain ways of doing the world. Um, and I'll continue to do that. Um, so when there are two people who do a lot of a particular way of doing the world, you can guarantee that when they meet, they are going to get on like a house on fire. The only question is, does that mean in the sense of get along really well? Or does that mean in the sense of chaos, destruction, and people screaming and fleeing the premises kind of thing? <laughs> Because one of those things is going to happen. There's not going to be a middle ground, right? Either either these two people will get on and just immediately bond and be best friends, um, or they'll be like mortal enemies. There'll be no gray area, you know? Um, and so when there's two people in a group that do a lot of this particular, like I just, I know that that's going to happen. And so uh, one of the things that I'll always set out to do is to see if I can shape things so that it leans more towards best friends rather than mortal enemies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's it's just of of inestimable value in terms of how do you present ideas, you know, because the way that you introduce things, the way that you present an idea has to resonate, has to be something that makes sense, has to be something that is compelling for the person that you're talking to, you know, yeah. um, how to lead someone in a particular direction, you know, and presenting ideas could be teaching, could be, if you're an agent of change, could be presenting the idea of of seeing the world a different way or doing a different kind of behavior or something like that, introducing the possibility of difference, basically. Um, and the way that you present those things, the way that you introduce those things uh, is is going to be formed by what you're seeing in front of you. 
you know, and particularly what you're seeing in terms of how people respond to things. Because just as, uh, you know, Satch a while ago was talking about roles uh, and talking about, uh, you know, in certain contexts, I might have the role of a uh, husband and father, of an uncle, of a, an employee, of a, etc. Um, one of the things that's quite valuable in terms of spiral somatics is being able to recognize, and this is a bit more advanced uh, and requires a little bit of, of poking, but being able to recognize what ways of doing the world uh, are going to come out in this person in certain circumstances. So regardless of what you're seeing in front of you right now, how do you recognize how this person is likely to be in certain circumstances or when talking to a certain person or when faced with a certain task, right? Where do they go at different points in time? So, uh, you know, if you know, for example, that when, if you're a therapist, right, and you're talking to somebody and you know that whenever they talk about their problem context, right, the thing that they, they come in wanting to sort out, whenever they talk about that, they go into a certain way of doing the world. Uh, and, Given that way of doing the world, it's really easy to see how they can sustain that problem. It's really easy how they can not see how they can move past that, how they could go somewhere new. You know, right. there might be other ways of doing the worlds so that they do that from that perspective, that wouldn't even look like a problem. It would just be a no-brainer. You know, and being able to recognize that and recognize, okay, in what contexts does this person operate where that wouldn't even be a problem for them, right? That's information that's quite valuable as well in terms of how do you get someone to move from point A to point B? You can get in touch with that part of them that uh, is already operating in a way that that wouldn't be a problem and uh, let them listen to that part of themselves, basically. You know, there's, so there's um, a lot of stuff. This is uh, This kind of informs everything in my experience involving interactions with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just always been the case. It's a no-brainer. Um, it sounds just invaluable for leadership development in general. And, you know, you're talking about group oh, yeah. dynamics and, you know, teaching, training. Uh, so if, if someone's working on on their leadership abilities or leadership qualities, it uh, seems like a wonderful way to develop it. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, in particular, when, you know, leadership's an interesting thing, you know, when uh, from, from the point of view of NLP, if we kind of go out of spiral somatics and into NLP a little bit, you know, leadership is an example of one of those, those words that in the, the jargon of NLP would be described as a nominalization, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not a thing in and of itself, you know, but a lot of people kind of value this idea of leadership, but the activity involved in that is leading. And if you're leading, you have to be going somewhere. You have to be going somewhere specific and people have to be willing to follow you of their own accord into that right. particular. So spiral is fantastic. Spiral somatics is fantastic in terms of um, being the kind of person that people will just voluntarily automatically follow without you even asking. You just be the right kind of person and people will just follow you, you know, uh, which is great. But for that to happen, you have to also be going somewhere. Um, so as you know, for the purposes of leadership, there's the additional component of, do you know where you're going and where you want them to go? <laughs> right. you know? Um, cause a lot of people don't seem to have that idea in mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know what they're, they're thinking, but you know, unless you're going somewhere, then you're not leading yeah. anyone. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it sounds like, uh, another group of people that might uh, benefit from this kind of training could be, uh, you know, artists, actors, painters, these kinds of people. It seems like, uh, especially an actor, uh, yeah. could really take tremendous inspiration from being able to embody other beings, other people, other ways of doing things. 
Absolutely. Yeah. We had, uh, last time I was teaching this in the UK, uh, I had an actor in the group um, who found it quite valuable. Uh, and she's um, pretty cool, actually, this chick, Anna. Um, and uh, if you happen to be watching slash listening to this. And um, I've frequently found that people who do some acting either professionally, professionally, whatever it might be, um, or even people who do improv, you know, this kind of thing, find tremendous value uh, in Spiral for that particular process, you know. Uh, and my partner, um, Amy, Amy Bell, um, Amy has a background in, among other things, design and stuff like that. And her brother is an animator. Her, her brother does, uh, you know, little animated stuff, movies. He's an incredibly multi-talented guy. And uh, one of the things that Amy's really... Um, got as a bit of a bee in her bonnet from ages ago when she first started learning spiral somatics was that this would be fantastic for animators. This would be fantastic for people that want to create a character on screen that portrays a certain way of doing the, doing the world. You know, how do you, how do you animate that? How do you demonstrate that in physiology so that it really congruently is a nonverbal demonstration of a certain way of doing the world. And uh, I think that's of, of great value. Um, and I think, uh, certainly the actors who have learned this stuff have found quite a lot of value from it. Uh, and they typically also um, kind of take to it fairly well. There's there's a few kind of groups of people that take to this stuff pretty well. Um, so people like, you know, chiropractors and Pilates instructors and, and some yogis, depending on the style of yoga, um, you know, people that are, are quite connected with their bodies and and connected with how one can use one's body in different ways. Um, and a lot of uh, good actors, um, same kind of thing. They're, they're quite aware of how they can do their bodies quite differently. They've got a lot of flexibility in that regard, um, which is quite handy. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, uh, of, of scope for application for people in those kinds of creative professions. Mm. I just want to learn how to hold my spine so that every joke I say will be hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So, so look for that one for me. Yeah, yeah. That's, I do actually have a tip about that. That's 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 later on. Come to the training. I'll show you. Sounds good. <laughs> You're listening to the Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with James Sakalos, the developer of Spiral Somatics. James will be in Orange County, California in September 2018 for an eight-day Spiral Somatics training seminar. I'm assuming that um you know since we're, we're doing this a live training you know it's not something that you do remotely um we're going to be physically with you in this room and you're yep. going to be you know hands-on helping us to experience um each of the uh, somatic experiences that you're guiding us through um but is this something that at some level can also be done in a in a non-visual way like like does it inform let's say you you were doing a remote phone interview with somebody um is there a certain level of this that can be grokked or understood without the visual component there mm. um 
yes, that's a really good question. That's pretty advanced kind of stuff. Um, the answer to that is yes, if you've got the physiological stuff first. So someone who's got some really good references for spiral somatics in their body uh, is going to already have developed a bunch of intuitions uh, with regards to how this stuff plays out mm -hmm. in terms of vocal characteristics. Um, it's very advanced. It's it's going kind of next level stuff. So it's not something that I would typically teach explicitly in a spiral somatics training. I might do it as an optional extra exercise. In fact, I think I might have done that. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't do that in India. Um, uh, as a bit of an optional extra. So I remember this one time uh, when oh, this is the first time I was in Edinburgh, actually, two thousand and seven. And uh, I uh, had a, a few people there in the NLP fields that I was uh, introducing at a very, very simple level, introducing some some ideas for spiral somatics. And uh, they were getting a bit excited. And one of those people was a guy called Michael Christon, who's an NLP trainer who was running courses in Edinburgh. And in the time that we were there, uh, he was, uh, I think he was going to be starting an NLP practitioner training, I think is what it was. And I was keen to see just the beginning of his training, and so and he lived not actually in the city of Edinburgh. He lived outside in a in a region called the Borders. And uh, by the way, hi Michael, if you ever happen to see or hear this. And uh, so one time we're we're in Michael's car. There's a few of us in Michael's car, and we're driving from his place into the city of Edinburgh, where he's going to be starting this course. And uh, and someone asked me in the car, "Can you track this stuff just in the sound of someone's voice?" And uh, I said, can people generally or can I? And they said, no, can you? And I went, well, yeah. And uh, they went, great, that'd be really cool. And Michael's got this car phone. He's got like a Bluetooth thing in his car, you know. And so we're on the way to, uh, to Edinburgh and a phone call comes through, right? And so someone just goes, can you do it now? I went, all right, fine. So Michael answers the phone and says, hello, this is Michael. And the person on the other end of the phone introduces themselves and says like a sentence. And then I went, okay, here's a description of uh, some things that this person does a lot of that they're very good at. Um, just did that, you know. Michael finishes the phone call. Michael's sitting directly in front of me in the car, finishes the phone call, hangs up and goes, fuck off, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? And he goes, how could you possibly know that? And I'm like, well, it's just the sound of this is what I do, you know? And so, so they were a bit excited about that. And then there was a couple of other phone calls that he took on the way into the, because the, he's starting the course and some people are calling to say that they're running late or something. I don't know what, you know, but he had a few phone calls. And so there was, uh, I think there was two more phone calls on the way to Edinburgh. And same thing happened, you know, they do it again, you know, and so the phone would ring and Michael would go, this is Michael and the person would start and I'd go, okay, here's some stuff about this person and then same about the third person and the whole time, you know, Michael's going, how could you possibly know, you know, and uh, so then he wants to test and wants to experiment with this stuff and he said, all right, can you, uh, you know, tell me some things, I've got all of these people turning up to this practitioner course, I know them all, right, I already know a bit about them tell me your read on them. And I went, okay, I'll just, I'll greet people at the door. And so I stood at the door of his practitioner course. And as people would come in, I'd say, hi, I'm James. I'd give them their name tag or book or whatever. And they'd kind of walk in. And then I'd turn to Michael and I go, okay, this is some stuff about this person. And I did this through, you know, all of the people coming into the course and, uh, you know, he got quite excited about that. And so did a few other people. But, uh, but that's uh, kind of started in, in the car on the way there, just purely with auditory. Do you, uh, do you get accused of being psychic? Uh, no, I don't think I've ever yeah. been accused of being psychic <laughs> in regards to this stuff. 
um, okay. which is weird, really. It's uh, yeah. it might nope. be something about me. Right. But, I would um, imagine that, that that would happen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's not quite psychic stuff. It's just the you know I'm I'm reminded of a story that um, I was told that was attributed to John Grinder. Um, and uh, I don't know if this is the case because it's like it's third hand, you know. Well, for, but, for those who don't necessarily know this, John Grinder is one of the co-founders of NLP. Yes. And uh, the uh, the story goes like this. Someone once asked John Grinder, uh, do you ever work with the blind and the deaf? And he said, every fucking day. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much reminded of that kind of thing you know when i teach spiral somatics it's you know people are like how could you possibly and i'm like how could you not see this shit you know and uh but i've made a certain study of it let's say but the thing about the voice in particular is that yes this is kind of it's advanced stuff and i don't usually teach this as part of the spiral somatics training but voice is a physical quality you know the way that voice works is that air goes into your body it's shaped by the shape of your body it moves through your body on the basis of how you're breathing, which is going to be based on how you're holding yourself. It's going to be moving through your body on the basis of how, do, how you're holding your throat and your chest mm-hmm. and your mouth and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so you, the sound of someone's voice is intimately linked with how they're using their body. And so if you've got really good references for the, the embodied stuff, you're going to start developing some intuitions already about vocal qualities. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, um, I was going to say that um, uh, there are some similarities to to what you're you're describing with spiral somatics that reminds me of some diagnostic techniques that are used in Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what one interesting thing is, uh, there are some people who have a a very uh, advanced, intricate way of doing a face reading, Chinese face reading. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm just curious if you've ever had a chance to look at any of that and. Uh, um, you know what your thoughts might be on that compared to what you do? Have you had that chance? No, I don't really know an awful lot about Chinese face reading. Well, you know, um, one of the things I like about it that sounds similar to what you're describing is that uh, it's absolutely not fortune telling. It's uh-huh. the idea that that who you are, who you know, the the, the habit of who you are begins uh-huh. to shape your face. Ah. and and so okay. so it's not like your face. Uh, determines who you are. Who you are determines your face. Yeah. And and um, uh, there's there's a wonderful lady named Lillian Bridges uh, who's here in the United States that that teaches this. She's uh, you know uh, part of a a family from Shanghai that's uh, many generations of doing this kind of face reading. And uh, she would always say, you know, look at pictures of couples when they were young, and then look at them when they're very old, and they start to look the same as they get older. Because oh, they're cool. similar lives, you know, and, and it's yeah, yeah. beautiful to to see these these pictures because I've always found it to be true. Yeah. Fantastic! It's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, I, so there, there is one distinction that would be different in spiral somatics, though, because it would be a case of uh, it's not just that who you are shapes your body, but how you use your body also shapes who you are. They mm-hmm. they they can't be disconnected from each other. Mm, very nice. Yeah, nice. good distinction there. Um, James, what are some, uh, specific things that you've seen in your years of, uh, teaching people this, that Mm -hmm. graduates of your classes, have you seen like maybe in the form of transformations or changes in their lives? Um, what, what have you noticed and what have you heard about or or witnessed? Mm. 
Yeah, that's a tricky one because uh, this is one of those things where because it's one of the things that I need to really kind of um, kind of head off at the pass when I start teaching spiral somatics uh, is the following people, particularly people who come from a background, let's say in NLP. Mm. Um uh, often have this this brain that's kind of fixated on techniques, you know. And oftentimes people would ask me things like, um, you know, where would you where would you use spiral somatics? You know, what would you use spiral somatics for? Mm. We had the last time I was doing a gig in the UK, there was a question from someone about, um, you know, is spiral somatics suitable for working with like really deep uh, issues, or is it just something for you know? And I'm like. Well, what the fuck are you even talking about? You know, it's not a therapeutic approach. It's not, you know, and it's not a technique. It's not something that you do to get some particular results. You know, um, this is, is an understanding. I'm reminded of um, uh, Jamie Smart uh, came out here a little while ago. A couple of students of mine organized a big conference called NLP Superfest and they um, brought some people out. Um, brought a few of my friends out, which is pretty cool. Um, but uh, one of those people was Jamie Smart, and he was talking about the distinction between application-based learning and implication-based learning. Uh, so, application-based learning is uh, you know when you you learn something that has specific applications. This is a you know a, a process that you do in this circumstance to get this particular result. You know, and uh, you know you make sense of it in terms of where do you apply it and how do you what do you do with it and that kind of thing. But then there's implication based learning, which is the kind of thing that when you learn how things are, um, that then just informs how you do things. It informs how you make decisions. It informs how you do stuff. You know, uh, and spiral semantics is really an example of implication based learning. It's one of those things that when you learn this. Um, the applications are really kind of down to you. Like there's a million different ways in which people can make use of this kind of stuff, depending on who you are and this kind of thing. Because it's it's just about developing a much greater understanding of how people work uh, and a much greater understanding of how you work uh, and the ability to connect and really experience what it's like to be in someone's world, as it were. Because the one of the ideas in the, the field of NLP, which I think um, has never really been satisfactorily uh, offered, I guess, is this idea of meeting people at their model of the world. There's this idea that this is really important. You should meet people where they're at, you know. Uh, And most of the time, for most people, what that amounts to, with the best intention of the world, what that amounts to is kind of coming up and, and it's almost like someone's in a house across the street, Right? And you come up to the edge of your fence and you look across the street at their house and you wave and you go, hey, I can see you there at your house across the I can see where you live. It looks like a really nice house. But you've never been inside. You've never actually been there. You're looking at it from the outside, you know. And so it's, you know, you, you can you can respect someone's model of the world. You can see it from the outside. You can go, wow, that's a really great way of doing the world. But you've never really been there. You've never been inside it. You don't know what it's like to be in that world. You're, you're always meeting them as someone from the outside, as an outsider, as it were. And, uh, you know, a big part of spiral somatics is about meeting people on the inside, really going into this world and living inside this world and going, hey, I'm here with you. I'm in this same space, you know. Uh, And the ability to do that and the ability to understand where people are at uh, much better and the ability to develop a lot of flexibility in how you yourself identify, you know, like in terms of this flexibility and fluidity of identity, if you had the ability to identify as any kind of person that you wanted at any time, well, how would you use that? 
right? Like it's it's not really application based. It just opens up lots of choice. It opens up lots of possibility in the world, and uh, it generally kind of informs how you go about doing things, how you go about interacting with people, and the decisions to make, the choices that you make. So you might make much better informed decisions about things. And so, you know, the kinds of things that people have done having learned Spiral are so many and varied because it's fundamentally about how humans go about being human. It's fundamentally about understanding people and understanding connection and this kind of thing. So, you know, I could offer some some specific kind of content examples, but they're really kind of surface level stuff, you know. Mm. I could talk about how, for example, you know, James, for example, you know, talked about how when uh, he came and he learned a bit of Spiral from me in Melbourne and then went over to uh, to the States. And his view was that having being from the UK uh, and having spent a bit of time in South Africa and spent a bit of time in Australia where they're different cultures, but nonetheless, they're still kind of similar. They're, they're largely similar to, to kind of UK culture. And his experience was that going to the States, it was just a, a big culture shock. Like this is just really very different culture from yeah. what he was familiar with. Um, and he found that Spiral was incredibly valuable in terms of him being able to connect with people in spite of the fact that this was really would previously have been alien to him because it wasn't alien anymore he just found himself going into a certain way of being of being in the world and just connecting naturally and effortlessly with people in a variety of different kind of cultural contexts uh you know i can talk about how i witnessed that by the way ah i just i witnessed him i mean i've i've uh i've seen him joking around about uh, you know, God forbid, you know, hugs, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're from California and we hug. That's just what we do. Right. Hey, how's it going? We, you know, big, nice, big, warm bear hugs, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. he was here, he, you know, he certainly exchanged a lot of bear hugs with everybody, all my buddies. And, and, uh, he was relaxed and had a great time and it was fun hanging out. He played music with us and, and we were just like kind of storming heaven, they, you know, discussing things. And, and, uh, you know, you could really see that, he was enjoying uh, stepping into a different model of the world and just interacting and, and kind of living from that. And it was just seemed very natural. It seemed like, Oh yeah, he's, he's just hanging out. He's part of, you know, part of the crew, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just, just to clarify, we're talking about James trip. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's good. That's good to know, by the way, cause I'm a bit of a hugger. So that's good. Oh yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> okay, California, we're good. All right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's I've I've been wondering about this actually because of the whole cultural difference thing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I know that California is not the same necessarily as other parts in the United States, and you know, the United States has all of these different kind of cultures in different places. It's true. It's true. And, uh, I know that there are people that are traveling from different places, you know, and so I'm really kind of curious to, uh, you know, to see what I discover uh, when I'm there in September. Right. Um, but yeah, I could offer some other examples as well. So uh, uh, Judy, I've got one of my students is uh, um, has a PhD in, in neuropsychology mm. and, uh, you know, sees a lot of neuropsych clients and uh, is of the view that spiral somatics has been invaluable to her in terms of, uh, you know, introducing ideas and helping people to change the way that they think about things and feel about things. I've got um, uh, another student who's a coach, does a lot of coaching with people uh, and uh, does this really cool stuff where, she, you know, she'll have someone who's experiencing something as a problem and literally without explaining anything at all, will just coach them into doing their physiology in a different way and we'll go, cool. So with your physiology like this, 
tell me about this thing that you were saying was a problem. How do you think about it like this? How do you think about it like Get them into a different physiology and a different physiology and a different physiology and finds that their beliefs just merge and change. Um, uh, a lot of the people that I train I work with groups of people, uh, you know, corporate trainers and facilitators and stuff like that. They find it invaluable in terms of um, knowing how best to engage with a group of people and get people really kind of enrolled and engaged quite quickly and quite easily uh, and on board with regards to the ideas that they're presenting, etc. Um, I have a uh, another friend who has found um, the same set of skills with regards to spiral somatics. He's found them to be of great value in business uh, and also great value in certain personal circumstances. This is a guy who uh, has done uh, in the past a lot of network marketing. And uh, when you're doing network marketing, one of the things that you want is you want to be able to make connections with people um, who are the right kinds of people uh, who you can then introduce and hopefully will be suitable for the, the business that you're engaged in. Can you teach us how to protect ourselves from the network marketers when you do that? Uh, well, most of them are pretty crap anyway. Uh, <laughs> I need. I want to know the antidote to, to protect me. The spell yeah. I have to cast around me to protect yeah. people. But yeah, I can. Um. It sounds like, like for you, you'd really like to have um, these concepts in more places in the world. Mm. Um, so how would you say that, um, you know, from the world's perspective, how do you think this is going to make a difference by having this in more places? Like having more people know about it is going to create what, what result, you think? From the world's perspective. Wow, that's yeah. ambitious. It is ambitious. <laughs> From your common sense point of view. <laughs> From the world's perspective, my God. Um, <laughs> what difference will that make? Um, oh, I think it just needs to get out there. I think this is one of those things that if more people know about this, if more people know about, first of all, just the fact that people live in different worlds, like just that alone I think is, is revolutionary for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people assume that the way that they make sense of the world is just the way that everybody makes sense of the world, you know. Um, and that's just not the case. You know, it's people live in fundamentally different worlds. Everyone, every human being lives in a totally different world. Well, you know, one, one of the things about learning spiral somatics is that it allows you to, to visit alien worlds. You can, you can kind of go into the way that this person does the world and experience that. It's really, really trippy and interesting stuff. And, uh, and just recognizing that, recognizing that the, the, the way that you make sense of things, the, the things that just seem common sense to you, the, the things that seem self-evident to you are not necessarily common sense and self-evident to other people, that people have very different ways of doing things, that your way of doing the world is not necessarily true or right or universal or anything like that. Uh, I think just that idea alone, uh, frankly, is quite revolutionary. But I think in particular, the ability to both recognize where people are at just like literally the moment that you see them like being able to kind of have that sense of where this person is coming from rather than um you know kind of going from scratch and and starting blank uh is quite valuable but the the most valuable thing i think uh, for human beings generally is uh, again just coming back to this kind of deeper level stuff of developing this this flexibility this fluidity in terms of how you identify how you do the world 
um, so that you can kind of break out of these roles of, you know, there are so many people that are kind of stuck in this idea that um, I just couldn't do that. It just wouldn't be me, right? The idea that something wouldn't be them. You know, if you did something and it wouldn't be you, then who the fuck would it be, right? If you did it, like, it's, it's... Strange, right? But people have this idea that it wouldn't be me. If I did that, it wouldn't be, of course it would be you. It would just be a different you, you know? Uh, and people have this idea that, you know, I just, I couldn't do that. I'm not one of those kinds of people, right? I'm just not one of those, you know. But if you recognize that you are a human being, you've got the the neurology and the physiology of, you know, it's the same as other human beings. You can be anyone. You can be anyone that you want to be. And I don't mean that in the sense of, you can choose to be the particular person that you want to be. I mean, that at any moment in time, you can be moments to moments who you want to be in that particular moment. You can be who the situation calls for in that particular moment and be able to adapt and be able to be flexible and to be able to, you know, one of the things about uh, Roger that I really admired that this is kind of all about as well is that I, I, I use this particular phrase. It's a very subtle but important difference a lot of people are really good at getting on with different kinds of people roger was really good at getting in with different kinds of people of just fitting in of just being one of these people you know and this is what spiral somatics is about it's it's something that allows you to no matter where you are to just be part of this community so that you never have to be a stranger anywhere right anywhere you go you can just be part of this community and just be completely internally congruently comfortably part of this community whatever this community happens to be um i think that's of tremendous value because that's that reduces conflict it reduces tension it reduces the us and them kind of stuff that people can get in you know um and i think that would be a a tremendous advantage well Um, that's the t-shirt i mean don't just get on with get in with yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, you're saying right now um, what was coming to mind earlier, which is this idea that, you know, there's there's so much angst and uh, anger and rage and, and a lack of ability to um, understand each other, a lack of willingness to want to discuss or even hear a, an opposing point of view or um, a lack of desire to, to uh, see it from another point of view. Um, and mm. it you know, I hear a lot of uh, people who are even older than me telling me or kind of repeating that, you know, it used to be that you could have dialectic. It used to be that you could have differing points of view and everything would be all right. And now yeah. it's dangerous sometimes to express your point of view. It can lead to violence. It can lead to terrible things sometimes just because you are emphatically expressing an opinion about something and, and it's it's made it i think people a lot more cautious a lot more drawn in a lot more um protective of themselves less or maybe artfully vague and, and less specific mm. uh, more often uh, and it's been divisive it's been you know creating schisms um so as i hear you and i hear what you've been telling me i think it would be amazing to have more people uh, practiced in the skill of entering into other people's way of doing the world and exploring the areas inside themselves that they're not feeling a desire to look at or to experience. Mm. Because by noticing that and noticing what's going on in their body, it seems like they could develop a lot more understanding, a lot better uh, conflict resolution skills, a lot better mm. connection with the community around them, even if they don't live life that way all the time 
Mm. But they'll still have the choice to live life that way. And again, it, it comes yeah. back again to what you just said. It's about understanding if any time that there's a particular way of doing the world that you don't like mm. um, or that uh, you react to in some way or that you think is bad or you think is silly or whatever, you know, those things always come from just a lack of understanding. That's all there is mm. to it. It just means that you don't have really good internal representations of what it's like to be in that way of doing the world. Because if you did, you'd recognize that it's, there's nothing bad about it. It's just as good, just as valid, just as wholesome, just as integrated as any other way of doing the world. And it's just about developing that understanding. Is there an authentic you underneath all of those, uh, sort of that, that, that flexibility of being able to do the world in different ways? Mm. And if so, what is that or how would you know? Now, there's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, that's, uh, that's a really, really interesting question, and you can kind of take that out of the context of spiral somatics and just ask that question generally. Is there an authentic you? Is there an authentic you that is uh, you know, separate from popular culture, that's separate from your upbringing, that's separate from peer pressure, that's separate from the things that you've learned and where you grew up and, and all of that kind of stuff? I think that we are um, a culmination of everything that has shaped us in our lives, you know, and... Uh, there is only one you, you know, there's lots of different ways of doing the world and all that kind of stuff, but there's only one person that has all of yourselves. There's only one person that has all of your memories that has all of your tastes that has all of these things. Um, and that's always going to be you. And uh, no matter what choices you make in terms of moments to moments, how to be in that particular moment, how to do the world in that particular moment, it's still you doing and living and experiencing all of those things. Beautiful. So, with that being said, um, I kind of want to wrap up or move towards the end of this interview with a question about this course that we're going to do that's mm -hmm. coming up in September mm -hmm. of 2018, in the very, uh, starting on September 5th, and it'll be in Irvine, which is Orange County, Southern California. Mm -hmm. Um can you maybe just briefly go over um, some of the basics, uh, like like um, the structure of how we're going to do the class? Uh, not necessarily in great detail, but just so that we have an idea as we move in. Uh, what, what shall we we expect, and how should we dress, mm -hmm. and you know what should we bring with us, and what's it going to yeah. be like, kind of? Okay. Uh, well, robes will be provided. <laughs> Um, I, I've not kind of looked into the livestock options uh, nearby, but I'm, I'd imagine there's somewhere where we can get a group. Um, goats are all right, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, goats, goats are fine. Okay. Goats are fine. Black candles, um, white candles, red candles? Uh, well, you know, to, a, a simple white, so it's, you know, it's, you can't go wrong with a white candle, that's, frankly, you know. That's true. Yeah, red's yeah. nice. Black is a little bit, and it ends up looking a bit dirty, you know. Yeah. So, um, uh, and no, seriously, we're not. There's none of that stuff is going to be happening. <laughs> um, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty straightforward, you know. What you see is what you get. So we're going to be. I don't know what the venue's like. You know the venue. I don't know the venue, but uh, yeah, it's, just, it's an open room, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty casual. There's not going to be, uh, for the first, probably for the first couple of days, there'll be a bit of information. There'll be a bit of kind of conceptual stuff and there'll be a bit of discussion and this kind of thing. Okay. Um, but what it's predominantly going to be is a training. Uh, training is not lecture. It's not about information. It's not presentation. It's not about just changing how you think about things. Training is about, about developing the ability to do stuff. Uh, and so it's going to be very hands-on. You'll be doing lots of things. 
doing lots of exercises involving getting your body into different positions, finding out what it's like to move in different ways, finding out the, the link between your body and mind and how that relates to some ideas that you will have been introduced to. Um, it's going to be uh, be quite hands-on. There'll be some applications things in the last couple of days, um, but largely it's going to be about really kind of getting in and exploring things about yourself um, in a really hands-on way and about relationships and connecting with people uh, in a pretty hands-on way. Structurally, um, we'll be going from, uh, I think about, um, you know, my preference would be about six in the morning to about 10 at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm fucking with you. I'm totally not going to go from six in the morning to 10 at night. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, fairly standard kind of training days. Um, I generally go for nine to six. Uh, and so also what I can kind of culturally get away with, you know, if I can get away with nine to six, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can get away with eight to six, that's brilliant. Uh, if I can't, if I can, if it's just got to be nine to five, it's got to be nine to five, but I prefer nine to six. Uh, and the structure of this particular course uh, is as follows. We'll have a few days. We'll have four days to kind of go over the real basics uh, of spiral somatics. And then there'll be a three-day gap. Uh, the three-day gap is not the course is over for this particular part of the course. Um, there'll be homework. You know, it's not going to be structured homework, but it's going to be a case of get out into the world because you'll have just spent four days learning things mm-hmm. about the body-mind connection, learning things about uh, what goes on with people when they're holding their bodies in certain ways. What go, You'll be learning things about how people's bodies are shaped when they're doing the world in certain ways and how that's going to play out in terms of the way that they interact with each other and this kind of thing. So you'll have three days to go into the world and watch and get data and find out what you find out. And uh, what usually will happen is people have the experience of going out into the world and going, holy crap, there's all this stuff that I've never seen before. And suddenly patterns become quite clear. And uh, what's going to be of great value, by the way, uh, is having people who are local, like you, Carlos, um, who know the neighborhood uh, and who can kind of direct people to different – because in any place, uh, particularly inside cities, right, in any place, there's going to be particular – um, areas where you're going to see a lot of certain ways of doing the world. So there's going to be particular areas that are going to be kind of hustler areas. There's going to be mm-hmm. particular areas that are very traditional, very kind of family-oriented areas. There's going to be particular areas that are very, um, uh, what would you call it, um, risk-averse, uh, you know, people kind of doing this is what's expected of me and so, you know, I've gone to university and I've gotten this job and all of this kind of stuff. There's going to be particular areas that are just – uh, you know, the, the places that if you, you say the wrong thing on a Friday night, you'll get your head punched in. Um, there's, you know, there, there's going to be a whole bunch of, you know, there's going to be areas where you'll get the, you know, you'll find a cafe where you won't be able to find a pork sausage for love or money, but you'll be able to find uh, like fucking activated buckwheat, <laughs> sprouted fucking seeds and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. You know, there's there's going to be you know what I'm talking about. You know, in, in any place, there's, places, you know, <laughs> there's, there's going to be uh, you know a number of different regions where if you want to see yeah. a particular way of the, doing the world playing out, you can go if you go to the right kind of part of the world, you'll be able to see a lot of that stuff. And so it's really useful having locals um, who can advise people on if you want to see this, go there. If you want to see this, go there. So people can kind of do field trips and stuff like that. It's completely not structured by the way. There's, there's not going to be a program for those three days off. Uh, it's just going to be a case of go out into the world, find out what you find out because it's really important to, 
And this is not just with spiral somatics. This is with any kind of training. It's really important to take things outside of the training room and into the world um, because that way you're going to see how things are outside a really structured, really controlled environment. And this is really important in learning anything. Uh, and it's definitely important in terms of learning spiral somatics. So you'll have a few days to go and just play and enjoy the world, you know, watch people do stuff. Uh, and then we'll have another four days where we'll go into much more advanced stuff. So the first uh, four days will largely be um, concerning ourselves with a very small set of variables in terms of different ways people do in the world. There'll be just half a dozen different kind of major variables that we'll be playing with in those first four days. And you'll be, by the end of those four days, you'll be able to um, recognize and have a pretty good sense of half a dozen different ways of doing the world. And then in the second four days, we'll take those half a dozen and expand that into um, 15, and then we'll expand that into 20 odds, and then we'll expand that into over 100. Um, so we're going to a lot more complexity and a lot more sophistication um, in the second four days. Wonderful. That sounds really exciting. Um, and what you're <laughs> uh, describing on the break, um, I look forward to brainstorming with you and just hearing about all that. Because, um, yeah, I do know a lot of different places around here that we could uh, explore. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to just having you in general because it's going to be fun, fun to show you around. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm excited that you're coming, James, because I think uh, this is going to be a special thing and uh, there's going to be some people here that really want to learn what you have to teach. And uh, I'm already fascinated by everything that you've said. And um, gosh, I, I think you've done something really cool, re re really neat that the world does need to learn about. And that's really all I have to say. Thanks, thanks for joining us and sharing all this stuff. It's been beautiful. My pleasure. Experiencing it is going to be way cooler than hearing about it. Yeah, that's for sure. And and as you said before, um, a person does not need to know about NLP or have any kind of background in that type of thing. It, this is a standalone experience and course, a training. Um, and uh, James Sakalis is going to guide you um, from from the beginning, from the, from step one, and and give you uh, what you need to understand all contained within the class. So uh, for those of you who are hearing this and are curious about it. Um, the course will begin on, on September 5th and, um, James, why don't you share your, your, uh, contact information and that website, um, so that they mm -hmm. know how to, how to find you. Sure. Uh, my contact information, my website is nlpmelbourne.com.au. Melbourne is M-E-L-B-O-U-R-N-E nlpmelbourne.com.au and if you go front slash oh actually if you just go there and you click on courses there'll be a drop down menu from which you can then select spiral somatics and all of the dates will be at the bottom of that page you can just scroll down to the, or you could just read through the page there's lots of cool stuff on the page as well there's a video there there's there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, but at the bottom of that page we'll have the dates including the dates for california uh, and that's how you find that stuff. You can also find me on Facebook, by the way, uh, which is going to be facebook.com front slash NLP Melbourne is my, you know, page page, you know, my, my NLP trainer page. Uh, and you can also, you know, feel free to just add me as a friend, by the way, uh, if you want to just find my personal profile, facebook.com front slash James dot, I think, Sakalos, T-S-A-K-A-L-O-S dot NLP. Uh, 
are there dots on Facebook? I don't know. Maybe it's just James Sakalis NLP. That's my, my personal profile. They're really the only places that you're going to find anything about me. I don't do other kind of platforms or anything. I think I've got a LinkedIn account somewhere, but I never look at it. I always just get updates that, you know, somebody's looked at my profile or recommended me for something, which is... That, that was me. That was you? Yeah. yeah. I looked at your profile. <laughs> ah, cool. Thanks. That's the, the thing that really does my head in about LinkedIn is that it's just, uh, it's, I, it's, I often, I, I'll go there and I just feel dirty looking at it, you know? Right. And, but also you get these, like I've had so many recommendations from people that I don't know who the hell they even are. <laughs> like, who the fuck are you? How do you know anything about me? You know? So I don't, you know, it's pretty much just my website and Facebook. That's, that's by me online. Um, and if, if, if you don't find him that way, um, and if you are listening to this or watching this on, on YouTube or somewhere else, um, you can find us at uh, www.facebook.com forward slash authenticity show. And you will uh, see a link to this episode and other mention of James Sakalos. Also, uh, if you're curious about learning about things related to personal growth, you can just uh, type into Facebook groups, look for learn about NLP and hypnosis. So if you, if you do that, you'll find my group. It's a warm, friendly group. We talk about a lot of good stuff, a lot of good links. Uh, James is in that group, so you can find him easily there. And, uh, and yeah, um, this has been really fun. I've really enjoyed this. Really looking forward to having you here, James. Um, it's always been great talking with you and, um, it's going to be even more fun in person. I'm sure you know, lots of laughs. Thanks, Thanks right. Carlos. Thanks. Thank you, Satch. All right. Thank Cheers. you. You've been listening to the authenticity show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest, James Sakalos. If you'd like to keep in touch with James, you can find his website at nlpmelbourne.com.au or you can find him on Facebook, and his last name is spelled T-S-A-K-A-L-O-S. James will be in Orange County, California in September of 2018 for an eight-day intensive spiral somatics workshop check it out. This show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. That's also me. Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android Market, Stitcher Radio, etc. Find us on YouTube and check out our website, authenticityshow.com. Thank you for listening and have an authentic day.